0: Hello everyone and welcome to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm Steven Joderand and Mr. Consistent Jake Watroba is joining me on this week's edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. We discuss MLS playoffs and U.S. men's national team. Armonka Fai calls in to talk about FC Dallas' managerial search as Oscar Pereira is set to make a move south of the border to Club Tijuana. Antoine Latrin, U.S. soccer writer in French for Locat Opposite and host of Culture Soccer, helps us break down MLS playoffs and the latest news in the league. Lastly, Doug McIntyre, reporter, U.S. men's national team insider for Yahoo Sports, calls in to talk everything U.S. men's national team. Go ahead and give us a five-star rating because we are your premier soccer podcast in this great country. Give us a follow on the Graham at Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast on the Twitter machine at Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. We love your feedback, comments, so continue to send them in. And don't forget, you can find the show on any major podcast platform. Let's get to today's show. How are we doing, Jake? We're doing great. We're doing great. How are you doing? Doing great. It's been a really weird week. Regarding soccer, because there's not much going on apart from, I guess the national teams, obviously, but no MLS playoffs, nothing. There's really just if you're following your team, your country, you know, good for you. Other than that, it's been a boring week.
1: Yeah, not not very many interesting storylines uh, to be following. Yeah, that's this true. week, but uh, we you know we 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 here at Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast, we do our best to. To dig up some things, try to talk about some things that others might not be talking about. So I, I think we have a good we have a good show planned today with the uh, lack of storylines going on uh, in U.S. soccer right now.
0: Jake, I'm really excited for our first guest. He's been on the show a couple of times before. It is the one and only Arman Kafai. He covers FC Dallas down in Dallas, Texas. You can follow him on the Twitter machine at Arman Just kidding. What's up, Armand? Skipping out on the show again this week, huh?
2: Yeah, I'm in Austin this weekend. There's no MLS playoffs, international break, school's out. You know, I had to hit one of my favorite seasons in Texas and, you know, I guess support Austin FC, something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, uh, a nice big, place, yeah, big news dropped over the weekend, and uh, you called me out of the blue going, like, "Do you see the news? I was like, what, what, what news? Oscar Pereira is headed to Club Tijuana. And uh, what are your initial rea- uh, thoughts on this?
2: Um, it's kind of weird. I'm not surprised. Um, you know, maybe a lot of people, maybe the team, I think, surprised me. I think Cholos like was a little unexpected, especially you know, uh, going to Liga MX. I mean, there was talk that hey, Oscar would only leave FC Dallas, his quote-unquote dream job. Uh, you know, he only would leave for a US national team or Colombia or a team back in Colombia. But I mean, I I feel like. it was a combination of things. I mean, he, he stayed here for what, five years now. He's built the organization. I think he thinks he's fulfilled everything. So why not try something new in league MX and, you know, build a team up and show us.
1: Armand, why, I mean, I think you kind of just answered this, but why, why would Pereja leave now?
2: I mean, I think it was a combination of things. I think first off, he wants a new challenge. I think, uh, Sure, he's killed MLS, has won the MLS Cup, but I think at some point he's like, hey, man, like, a coach wants to advance, like a player. I mean, Oscar mentioned it in his interviews. He always wants a player to advance. A player wants to come to Europe, he wants them to do that so they can advance in their career. It's no different for a coach. A coach wants to do that as well. But I think also part of it, I wouldn't be surprised if part of it was, hey, I'm a little frustrated to know how much we're spending. You know, like, it's just pure speculation. But, look... If you're gonna keep if you're gonna have your owner come out and say, Hey, we want Michael Barrios to be a Joseph Martinez, like come on. Like that's a that's something where you're like, Okay, like as a coach, do you really want that? Do you really want to be, you know, competing with a kind of budget roster most of your time? Sure, show us the most money, but they do invest. I mean, they brought in Fabian Castillo from Turkey, who used to play for S C Dallas. They have a solid team. They have been really good in Liga MX. I think they're currently in 15th place right now, but I mean it's, it's a combination of things. I like think it's a combination of wanting a new challenge. I think it's a combination of hey, like if I can leave, I can leave.
0: Now, Armand, why was Oscar Pereira pushed out?
2: No. I don't think there's any way Oscar Pereira's pushed out. Was because if,
0: But then in that case, did the club push him out in the sense that because of what the club was doing in the lack of spending, uh, the lack of even fan interest. Was he getting bored? Was he getting tired of just the lack of, you know, money for the squad that he said, you know what, hands up, I'm done. I got to get out of here.
2: Like I said, I don't, wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, to be honest with you. I mean, you have to, you have to look at it. Dallas is a, one of the two teams that don't have a millionaire, which I find that almost insane. They've... They're reluctant to spend lots of money, they really want to push these homegrowns. And I think, quite frankly, I mean, part, part of it I think does have to do. I mean, many people say, Hey, it's because he wants a new challenge, whatever. But I mean, you have your USL team coming up that you know, that team that everyone wants to talk about. Oh, wow, USL team will definitely complete FC Dallas's development thing as a whole. Uh, you have uh like, I feel like this is a little bit of a surprise to the, Hunts. I think you're right, Steven. I think there is some part of where he was a little pushed out because look, thousands spend money. And if you're not going to spend money, man, like why, why should he stay? There's, there's no point. If he's going to continue to get, you know, uh, chastised for, Hey, you're not playing the kids uh, cause he wants to win. Like I can see why Oscar would get really frustrated in that instance.
1: Armand, we talk about Oscar Pereja being one of the best coaches in MLS, and now with his departure to Tijuana, should SC Dallas fans be um, wary of the next few years uh, with, uh, for FC Dallas under a new manager?
2: Well, I'm, I'm, I've am been an impression. That's what you guys made. Oscar Bray had played up SC Dallas' team. They're not good individually. They're really not that good. He played Maxi Rudy as a nine-and-a-half. <laughs> <laughs> like, who 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 does, who does that? Max already doesn't even play a center attacking, but he still does and got honestly the best out of that team. I think that the team is overachieved year in and year out. Um, there isn't. It's it's not like this, that team is set up with superstars to win. It's not like you have a Tassan Martino and Atlantic United where you have some of the best players in the league. These guys are not the best players in the league, but under a cohesive system, they come out and play really well. <laughs> I don't think the future at the moment right now is going to be good for I guess the 2019 season. I think it's going to be a rough season for FC Dallas fans in the 2019, uh, especially without without Oscar, especially depending on who they hire. I think it's, a really, it's going to be a really like a transition period. I don't think I don't want that big name hire, so I don't expect it to be an immediate, you know, all right, 2019, we're going to go compete for playoffs. I think at that point you're going to have to think about an actual rebuilding year where – they're going to be not making that red line, not making the playoffs.
0: So give us some names. Have you thought about names that you could see replace Oscar Pereira?
2: One guy who I would be very interested to see uh, is Luchi Gonzalez. He does all the academy stuff. He's on the, uh, He heads the academy at SC Dallas. And you have to remember Oscar Pereira used to be the head of the SC Dallas at the academy before moving to Colorado and then moving to back to FC Dallas. I wouldn't be surprised if he was a candidate out there. He's younger. Um, I feel like he's kind of like that that I guess I like, sexy not necessarily a sexy pick, but he's really he's not the conventional guy you pick. And I mean, if I'm gonna see that I go with him. You want to continue this model of if I'm the hunts thing about as a hunt you want to go with this model of continuing, your know, continuity with the homegrowns and you know, continue development. So I go, why not go for a guy who's again been involved in the academy? And, again, take the pressure off yourselves. Take the pressure off you for 2019. Say, hey, we're probably not going to make the playoffs in 2019. We're developing talent. And this is where you can blow up the squad and just start playing younger players. You can start playing Paxton Pomocles. You can start playing Brandon Servanius. You can start me throwing in Jesus Ferreras. But it's not going to be fun. Like, 2019 will not be fun. You're going to sit here and, sure, Oscar Perez has has made uh, some bad, you know, tactical mistakes some bad substitutions sometimes uh, sometimes plays really just mm, eh, football but you're really gonna miss it i, I think because I, I like i said i think he played up the squad and a guy like lucci he's gonna be a great guy don't get me wrong but he has a transition period too it's gonna be his first year coaching
1: arman last question before we let you go this is gonna be kind of a softball question i'm gonna tee you up here um hopefully we get a good response out of you of the established, uh, available coaches in MLS, what is the worst case scenario in terms of, uh, hires to replace, uh, Oscar Pereja?
2: Uh, so you really want me to say Caleb Porter?
0: Or, 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 or Siggy Schmidt, yeah. Or Bruce Arena? <laughs>
2: oh, Siggy Schmidt or Bruce Arena?
0: <laughs> what about Arsene Look, Wenger?
2: Honestly, oh my God. Damn, you're all throwing out these, these names. Arsene Wenger, come on, man. um, Camel Porter would be interesting, but I, I wouldn't want him. Uh, I've, I, if I'm looking at the also, I mean, sure the guys like had that sabbatical or whatever, but why not just keep it in in house, man? Camel Porter, if you're to the hunts, I think Camel Porter's gonna demand. Hey, I want to spend some money. Let's spend some money, guys. We ha- had Diego Valeri. I'm not gonna sit around. Well, you're gonna pay. You're not gonna have a millionaire. We're gonna pay like Roland Lamont, 800k which, I mean, I don't know if his contract's even going to renew, so then you have no, like, you're not even close to a million on roster without Roland Lamont. Um But Ziggy Schmidt, I mean, hey, man, uh, if you're trying to see what Jossie artist at right back, I, I guess you can put Maxi Rudy at right back. I, I, is that how it works? Something like that? <laughs> or Bruce Arena? We'll, we'll have Bruce Arena on, and uh, he can uh, tell I was asking him every single time, any uh, uh, press conference, how he let the U.S. And his national team this the uh, World Cup. <laughs>
0: that hey, that's mike. Audio for y'all. That's, that's mike that's what i told you in the group chat
2: <laughs> hey man i don't remember what you said in the group chat i yeah. had a long
0: night yeah you did all right it's our mike of fi obviously he's one of the, the hosts on the show but he's he's enjoying a little vacation time for thanksgiving had a long stressful season with fc dallas well we appreciate the time yeah. i uh we'll see you next episode right you're not gonna flake on us again no i won't be
2: in austin <laughs> so so i'll be uh Oh yeah, I'll be back in the big D, so
0: yeah, I won't flake. All right, there you go, Armand Kafi Follow him on Twitter at Armand Five. But uh, is this a storyline that is not really talked about? I feel like this is a huge storyline because Oscar Pereira is obviously was at some point linked with the U.S. Men's National Team. Uh, Armand and I both thought he would be an interesting fit for the team. He's also, you know, has had quite a bit of success with FC Dallas. Obviously, the last couple of seasons, he've you know, the tail end of the season has kind of dropped off. But this is a big move in MLS. And, you know, FC Dallas being a 1.0, we know the struggles on and off the field. This is a huge bargaining chip that the club has, you know, when it goes out to buy players, come work with Oscar Pereira.
1: Steven, I, I think this this there, there's so, so many different storylines you can create off of this hire. You know, you have uh, – I mean – For one, we have an MLS coach going to a pretty sizable club in Liga MX in in, in Tijuana. You also have, uh, I mean, is Pereja leaving Dallas? I mean, you can say it's spending and and everything like that. But you can also say, uh, if Pereja is good enough for Tijuana, why isn't he good enough for the U.S. men's national team job? He didn't even get an interview out of it. So you you have that. And like you said, too, he attracts talent to Dallas as well. There are so many different angles to the story that I, I don't think people are are really talking
0: about yes so uh, moving on here jake we got antoine latrin he's a u.s. soccer r- writer in french for Locan opposite and host of culture soccer antoine welcome back to the show how we doing
3: very good and you well actually um living in england i saw the u.s. men national team yesterday um it wasn't great but it was a good weekend for me <laughs> you were at the game no, but i don't at the pub, oh, and um, yes. I'm I'm glad my friends knew that I'm into U.S. soccer, and it wasn't the best proof of um, the <laughs> development of soccer in the, in the country. <laughs> Wait,
0: actually, before we even talk about MLS playoffs, what was the conversation at the bar? Like, what were they saying about U.S. soccer?
3: Well, it's just, you know, they always hear about the hype and uh, Atlanta United and the Zlatan and the Rooney. And then they see that (laughs) really weak team. So I don't know. It wasn't great, but they know that we're rebuilding. They saw that the players were young. So it was interesting.
1: Can can you give us, I guess, while we're on the subject here, I'd love to get you. I mean, how closely did you watch the match?
3: Um, um, I didn't. I didn't watch it really. Well, I was more like talking with my friends than watching it because after after the two the two first goals, I was like, ah, there's nothing really to take. But I really liked uh, Tyler Adams at the end. Really, mm. really interesting. And Pulisic was was really uh, like was the best player on the field. Well, for for us.
1: Do you get the sense that the U uh, is England really good or is U.S. soccer? really bad at the moment
3: it wasn't even the first team of england so i I don't know i don't want to be really pessimistic but they're just like they don't have any project the us it's Mm -hmm. really sad um that after a year they still haven't they still don't (laughs) know what's going on but yeah, yeah england was all right but it wasn't their first team
0: no you're you're right antoine it's it's weird because obviously you have a lot of mls players and I, let's just begin with that idea. What, what do we make? Uh, and Jake, I'll, I'll give this to you. Do we have a problem with the MLS players playing in these friendlies when they've got you know the conference finals coming up here next weekend?
1: Um. <clears throat> yes and no. I think there is probably an understanding with some of these national teams that some of these players that are in MLS that are still. Uh, they're playing for an mls cup final i think there's an understanding with the national team that you know hey these guys maybe shouldn't see the field as much as somebody else who's either who's playing in a you know different league whether that's in you know mexico or europe or wherever so i i don't have a problem with them being called in now hey if if if, you know dave wants to play tyler adams a full 90 minutes well then i think we got a problem there
3: yeah i agree with that but I just think it's uh it's stupid if if there's no real head coach and if just a friendly that doesn't have any consequence you could just uh rest the mls player it doesn't mm-hmm. really mind because it's not the it's not Craig behalter it's just dave sarkin so why why didn't just like rest all the mls players i don't really get it
0: i mean i agree with you antoine i for wasn't it the case last year where they didn't call Call up any players for the U.S. Men's National Team, and yeah. they left the the MLS based players that were still continuing in in the playoffs at home.
3: Yeah, I think I think it was the case. I couldn't really remember, but yeah, there was a moment where they didn't call in the MLS players.
0: Yeah, it, it, I think it's a it's a fascinating dynamic. Now, Antoine, um, a, a big talking point I've had a problem with is the fact that these playoffs are so long. I mean, you're talking <laughs> a, a span of thirty five something days here i think it's even 40 something depending on the year but this weird international break just abrupts you know brings everything to an abrupt halt and the momentum you had with the playoffs the games how do how do you expect these clubs to come back next weekend when you have portland kc and atlanta and red bulls playing
3: I guess they will come back prepared. I'm not sure yet. But, um, it would benefit some clubs more than others, I think. Um, like, for example, the fact that Seattle had to play just after um, their first game, Portland, where they had injured uh, injuries was um, really bad luck for them. And I think some some clubs, like for Kansas City, it would be good to have a bit of time um, to prepare against Portland. And for Portland, they don't have that dynamic. Um, so I think it advantages some clubs more than others but I don't blame the MLS because uh, sorry I don't blame MLS um, because they couldn't do otherwise I mean they, they couldn't just play during the international break in my opinion
1: Antoine can you I guess let's let's dive into playoff talk here can you give us your thoughts just on these conference finals matchups I mean <laughs> who, who do you like who don't you like who do you see moving on any surprises from the previous round as we um well my bro- towards the conference finals
3: my bracket was um, Seattle and D.C. United in final. <laughs> hey, that's what I so, had. Oh, well, it, it didn't go. <laughs> nope. <laughs> um, obviously, I was, uh, I'm a sound of so I was really disappointed. But it was a beautiful match against the the Timbers. Um, and I must say, the Timbers really surprised me. Um, but I still think Kansas City has the edge. Uh, they're a really, really good team, really organized. And on the other side, I think... Um, Atlanta Red Bull is kind of final I, it's not like a surprise to say that I think everyone kind of thinks the same but these two teams such in a good form they play such a beautiful football I mean the 3-0 the against Columbus was such a surprise for me um, I, I generally thought the Red Bulls wouldn't go through Um. So yeah, no, really, two beautiful matches. I really, I can't wait to see uh, Atlanta Red Bull. It's gonna be amazing, and I I think Atlanta has the edge. Um, they've been playing incredibly well. I don't know what you think, but Atlanta for me will probably be the next champion.
0: You think Atlanta? I don't know. Armand uh, obviously is not on the show, but his big talking points: how good Red Bulls have been and how underrated they have. Actually, the funny thing is, I was, uh, doing some stuff for the show and going through some older clips and. This was at the MLS midpoint, and Jake, you saw the clip. Armand was all about the Red Bulls then, so Armand's been on the Red Bulls forever, so nobody can call him out for you know this hot take last minute. Mm. Um, but I, Atlanta, Antoine, don't you fear that you know if the game gets close and it suddenly becomes bunker ball or it becomes very defensive, that Atlanta don't have the capabilities to go out there and to do what is necessary to win or grind out a one nil result.
3: Yeah, that is, a, that is a fair point, but I just feel like I, I was really into the Red Bulls until the match against Columbus when they lost one nil And I thought at that time that, that they were like, not really bad, but they could actually be uh, fought against and there were tactics that could be put in place. I mean, what, what Berato did in the first game was quite good. And, um, if you have someone that can run fast um, and like if the Red Bulls like to press really high, if you got something, someone that could get in behind. And I mean, I think Joseph Martin is cool. Amiron could deliver some and, and Nagby also sometimes delivers some great passes through the defense. And I think I don't know that could take advantage of that, but it's going to be a close call.
1: Antoine, I found it interesting that you um, kind of earmarked Kansas city as the team to beat right now in the, in the West. Um, are, are you not at all concerned about how, with how that their backline played against Real Salt Lake and, and leg like two, nearly blowing that uh, a fixture?
3: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, it wasn't the best game they had, but um, on the other side, I don't know, Portland or could, but I don't, I never saw Portland as like uh, the best team in the West. Really, I was surprised they passed against um, Seattle, and Kansas City are just really stable, and uh, they could make a few mistakes, but Portland's defense isn't that great. What do you think?
1: I, I think it's better than Kansas City. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I guess recency bias. It, it, it to me, it, it just looks like Kansas City really struggled to deal with the Real Salt Lake team. That, for one, I, I'm not sure if you've been listening recently, but I've, for some reason, anytime I say some team's going to lose or they're not going <laughs> to advance very far, they end up winning and go and advancing beyond what I think. So I, I didn't think very highly of Real Salt Lake coming into the playoffs, and when you know they're able to you know, almost get a result on the road in a, in a do or die match. I think that is somewhat concerning if you are an SKC game and on the flip side of the coin. I thought a, t- a team like the uh, Portland Timbers in that second leg of the Seattle, um, playoff matchup, I thought they showed a lot of resolve and a lot of grit and determination to, um, you know, every time Seattle punched them in the mouth, they punched right back and they, they got back up. And I mean, case in point, you <laughs> most of the team didn't even know that road goals was the uh, tiebreaker <sighs> in yeah. extra time. So you have the Timbers celebrating like, like they won after um, after extra time. And you know, that's kind of got to be a gut punch when you realize, Oh no, we have to go to PKs. This isn't over yet. And they were able to, you know, go to move on a PKs and, and we're able to get a win. So to, to me, I look at Portland as a team that, you know, they well coached and I, I think they can, I think they can get a, you know, they, they can survive in advance against uh, SKC.
3: I just think the break really uh, advantaged SKC more because, SK, I mean, Peter Vimitz, we know how he works and he probably will prepare his team to face every, like, eventuality that could come up. Um, and Portland were really good against Seattle. They still got scored, like, three times. Um, I mean, that's not something we have to, like, we have to remember that. Uh, you get three goals um, against you. I mean, it's not... the Proof of a well, a team that defends really well, um, and comes like once they got through at RSL in the second matchup, the the third, fourth goal, they seem just totally in control. And I, I mean, I it might not happen, but I feel like they could be well in control um, at Portland.
0: Yeah, I I do wonder. Obviously, I think going into the season, Sporting KC's one of the big needs was how were mm. they going to score goals. Uh, and they, they provided a lot of goals this season in, you know, in the Western conference, they were, they were third for the most amount of goals afford afforded. And, uh, they had a really good defensive record and just based on goals allowed, they're the second best. And then if you do gold differential, uh, sporting KC sits atop of the Western conference by a mile. And in, in the Eastern conference, it's, Red Bulls and Atlanta with the highest goal differential, except Atlanta has been pretty leaky of recent. Red Bulls haven't scored as much as Atlanta, but they hold a much better defensive shape. So the question is, if the games open up, do we, you know, do, do those favor, say, the Atlantas and the Sporting KCs, or if the games become very narrow and, and become a lot tired is that you know is that better for the red bulls maybe uh portland i, I don't know how, how we judge that between portland and sporting kc but atlanta and red bulls you do see a great divide i mean look at the score lines atlanta have won by it was 3 2 like they've won by multiple goals they didn't i think i was just looking at the list and i just glanced at it so i might be completely wrong but there weren't many 1-0 wins for atlanta this past season
3: no, yeah, that's fair. Um and I think you're right. Uh, if if Newton, I mean if they can get if they can get it like in control of the match, they're gonna be absolutely um they they can't win. But also like the fact that the two matches are only five days apart, that means I mean Atlanta doesn't really rotate their player that much. So if the players really um fight uh, strongly in the first game, they will be totally exhausted just five days later. I'm not sure they have the time to totally recover. And I don't know. I felt like that actually could advantage New York Rebels. I, I didn't check the dates, but oh, now I see it. Um, same thing for Portland Sporting KC. It's just like five days later. And I don't know between Portland and Sporting who has the biggest and the deepest bench, um, but I feel like Portland had a couple of number nines that could play uh, if ABOBC just gets injured or if it's too tired after the first game. So it's going to be interesting to see um, how the coach like deals with that.
1: Antoine, I want to I wanna get your thoughts here on the uh, Oscar Pereja news. But real quick, um, what are your predictions for the two conference finals matches? And then uh, give us your MLS Cup
3: winner. I I hate predictions. <laughs> um, I've, uh, I actually have no idea. I would say, like, first game, maybe, like, two-nil Atlanta. Then second game, one-nil New York. So, I don't know how that passes through. And uh, in the West um nil nil first game and two one second game i'm i'm literally i've i didn't feel about that before the the show so i'm just making that up now um and then atlanta oh actually ah uh, atlanta wins yeah i'm gonna say that i'm not they, they would play at home so to be fair that's a, that's a big advantage so i'll say atlanta wins um and that'd be great to be fair I, Actually like just to talk about Atlanta quickly I think it's gonna be really interesting if they win and then lose Amir the Martinez that the Martino maybe Julian Gressel uh, I mean when you win after like two years of existence and then everyone leaves I don't I really wonder what they're gonna be next year. Even if they don't win. Losing like Tata Martino, Martinez, and Miron Crystal is going to be really hard for them.
0: Don't you don't you though have at least some sort of faith in the front office to go out there and mm. replace the players? I mean, we're not talking like, for example, well, we're gonna to touch on FC Dallas's loss of Oscar Pereira, but if Tata Martino goes and you have Oscar Pereira, you're putting all your money on Atlanta to go out there getting a big name established manager and then replacing those players with the funds that they get in i mean you know this is completely speculation but i honestly would not be surprised if atlanta go get somebody like arson wenger to replace tata matrino fc dallas they could pull a college coach and none of us would be surprised (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah that's fair um, I think for Tata Martino when he leaves I said Wenger would be a good pick but I heard rumors about uh, Skelotto, the, the coach of uh, Boca Junior and I think that actually would be a better pick because like players won a, I think they also came to Atlanta because they were coached by Tessa Martino so you need someone that people could rely I know Wenger yes. is a big name but is he the future of football is he like the, I don't know <laughs> if he can actually he's good with youth to be fair so I'll give him that but I think a, lot, a coach that comes from South America could be really useful.
0: No, you, I think that's a, that's a good point. Now, what, what's your take with Oscar Pereira leaving for Club Tijuana? Uh, Armand, we had him on you know, earlier in the show. There, What's your take on everything here?
3: Well, I think it's a proof that MLS can actually export. Well, it's the, actually another proof that MLS can export co- their coach, and that's actually great because we had Patrick Vieira. We had um, – oh, man. I just forgot his name. Um, Chris, Asma, Chris <laughs> um Jesse and, Marsh. Jesse Marsh. Sorry. I don't know why you just live. Um, so, yeah, we have Patrick Kovia, Jesse Marsh, and Oscar Pareja. If he makes a, if he makes a good play in Liga MX, M- it could be great for MLS and for uh, the dynasty of coaches that could actually – they can coach in MLS and somewhere else. But it's going to be tough for Dallas. Um, apparently, I was speaking with the French icon of Dallas that we uh, talked about the last time I went on the show. Um and he told me someone from the inside could be the solution, like um, one of pareja, pareja, um, that one of the people that one of the persons, sorry, that coached with pareja, and that would be actually a good idea, I think. Um, and I heard the name of Caleb uh, Porter coming in the discussion. Um, he's got a bad past with uh, with young players, so I'm not sure that'd be the greatest idea. I would see him actually in LA Galaxy, but yeah, no, it's going to be interesting to see how how the, what the future holds for uh, for Dallas.
1: Well, Antoine, thank you so much um, for the time today. Uh, please tell our listeners where we can find your work and where we can find you on Twitter and, and anything else you'd want to plug away.
3: Uh, well, thanks for having me, first of all. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at Antoine Latran. And just go on my Twitter. You'll have all my work there uh, that you could just see and retweet and share and everything. <laughs> Thank you very much, guys.
0: Well, I, you know, Antoine, you just said your name. I'm, I'm sorry I mispronounced it. It's Lantin, uh, Antoine Le Tr- uh, Tron, not <laughs> You should have corrected
3: me. Yeah. It's, well, it's complicated, you know. Well, yeah,
0: you make me look bad, somebody who does speak French. <laughs> I need to know at least the proper pronunciation. It's not, well, a good
3: it's not easy. French is the hardest language.
0: You think hard? W- was English hard to learn? Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, it's it's a nightmare. It's just not the same. Anyway. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, it's a different
0: story. But, hey, we appreciate it, Antoine, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much. See you there. You know, the MLS playoffs, it's hard to talk about them. I don't know why, Jake, but it's hard to talk about the matchup on the field because it's so unpredictable. It, it it genuinely is. And I think it makes it difficult because you have over two legs. And we know the home and away splits for MLS. Now, in the playoffs, it seems like the away team, you know, typically has the advantage. We see it in the opening rounds here the last several years. Especially that, I guess, wild card game and the one-game playoff. It's like the road team has this huge advantage. And how many road teams won this year? Columbus at DCU. RSL at LAFC. Portland at FC Dallas, you know. Uh what was the fourth game I'm missing? NYCFC hosting Philly at NYCFC winning. There it is. But yeah. It's it's odd. No, it definitely is. It's it's not
1: like the other American sports where, when it comes to playoff matches. It, it's like you if you had the Patriots playing the Steelers and like the AFC Championship game and the Steelers were on the road, they wouldn't all of a sudden change their playing style because oh we're on the road and we gotta we gotta make sure we run the ball seventy percent of the time or, instead of you know throwing the ball like we normally do. So there's definitely I mean with these road teams that the the style of play changes and it's it it can lend itself or to you know having the game be a little bit more unpredictable.
0: No doubt, and I think it's an unpredictability of a fascinating, fun, wild game where you have score lines, you know. The, the most, I think, famous matchup would be Toronto Montreal, where you had, I don't know what's final aggregate was, like 7 5. Maybe I'm completely drawing a blank there. Or you can get really sloppy 1 0, uh, you know, through the two legs, and it's just the most boring, mundane thing you could possibly watch on television. Nap football, you know?
1: Definitely Nap football, our Monka 5's favorite. No, I agree. that That's kind of what the playoffs are all about, though. As fans, we want a little bit of unpredictability. It it, it, it kind of gets boring when you know the what the result's going to be or who's going to advance and who's going to be going home
0: yes okay let's get to our next guest it is doug mcintyre we'll be right back
1: Joining us now on the show is reporter and U.S. Men's National Team Insider for Yahoo Sports. It's Doug McIntyre. You can follow Doug on Twitter at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, how are you doing today?
4: Doing well, Jake. Thanks for having me on.
0: Doug, let's jump right in. And this U.S. Men's National Team coaching search is at day 400 plus. I forget what exactly day it is. But are we getting somewhere closer? The rumor is supposedly you know, Burhalter being the front runner, but are we just waiting to get through these international games and then US soccer will announce their man or woman, whoever it is? Yeah.
4: I I, I think so. I think so, guys. Um I do think it's going to be Greg Burhalter. There's absolutely no reason to think it's not at this point based on the reporting I've done, the reporting my my colleagues have done, so um, certainly seems like Berholtz is the guy, and, and I think that it was almost unlikely that we were going to get an announcement while the team is, is over in Europe, just from a logistical point of view. I don't think that makes a lot of sense. And um, with Thanksgiving come up, coming up next week, I wouldn't expect it at the end of next week. The um, U.S. plays against Italy on Tuesday, um, and then Thanksgiving is obviously on Thursday. So I think realistically the earliest we could see an announcement would be the following week. Uh, I believe that's the week of the November 26th. But it wouldn't surprise me if it even stretched into the first week of December. But I do think uh, by the time MLS Cup rolls around on December 8th, um, there will be a new U.S. coach in place. And again, I think that's going to be Greg Berhalter. So I think we're getting close. Finally. Doug,
1: Doug why did it take this long? Do you, do you have any incl- any inside information on why why it took over a year for... U.S. Soccer to land on Greg Berhalter doesn't that seem a little ridiculous to to take that to take over 400 days to name an MLS coach as the head man of U.S. Soccer?
4: Yeah, I mean I, I don't disagree. I, I think you're right. I think that's a valid criticism of U.S. Soccer. I've said this before, um, going back to this summer. There's a, there's a number of practical reasons, and people can, you know, agree or not. But there were a bunch of practical reasons why this couldn't be done earlier. And you know, if you want to say, well why did Burhalter even coach the crew in 2018? He could have been hired last offseason and gotten in already. Well, the question is who would have made that decision at the time? Uh, U S soccer was obviously thrown into turmoil when the, when the, the U S team didn't qualify for the world cup. And we saw some repercussions, um, because of that happening. I mean, first and foremost was Sunil Galati, the president of U S soccer, deciding not to run again. So I don't think anybody wanted Sunil to be picking the next coach on his way out the door. I think everyone that follows US Soccer could agree that that's not a good idea, especially after, you know, it was Sunil's decision to hire Jurgen Klinsmann, it was Sunil's decision along with Dan Flynn and the US Soccer board to retain Klinsmann to re-sign him before the 2014 World Cup even happened to another four-year contract extension and they held on to him too long. They probably should have gotten rid of Jurgen earlier than they did, and, and the result was that, you know, they didn't qualify for the World Cup in the end. Um, obviously, can't lay that all at the feet of Klinsman. Bruce Arena had eight games out of ten in the Hex to, to get the job done, but wasn't able to dig the team out of the hole of uh, losing the first two games in the Hex. So um, I think there was a lot of things that happened after that. So you have a presidential election that's contested, Um, that vote didn't come down until February when uh, Carlos Cadero took over as the president of U S soccer. And the first priority at that point with the next world cup four and a half years away was not uh, to name a coach for the national team. It was uh, to get the uh, bid for the the 2026 world cup, the joint bids between the United States, Canada, and Mexico um, to, to secure that. I think, uh, you know, that was the right decision. I think that is something that, um, is going to be an important part of uh, the legacy of U.S. soccer going forward. Um, a, a great way, the best way, I think, to to take soccer in the United States to the next level um, to have that tournament. I think that's going to be a game changer. It's going to change the sport uh, in North America for, for many, many years to come. So after that, then <laughs> there was a, a U.S. men's national team GM search. So before the, the coach was hired, they, they wanted to pick a GM. That process took probably longer than it needed to. It wasn't ideal. Ernie Stewart, the guy they settled on, was under contract with the Philadelphia Union. So even when they decided that he was their guy uh, and they hired him, um, he wasn't able to start immediately. Uh, He didn't start until August 1st, which was almost two months after it was announced that he was going to be taking over in that role. So those are some of the practical reasons why it's taken that long. I mean, you can argue that uh, it shouldn't have taken from August 1st to December, whatever, late December, uh, late November, early December, when we're anticipating this announcement, um, you know, that, I think that's fair. And the, the, the part for me more than the length that it's taken to, to actually settle on someone. And again, certainly seems like Burr halters, that guy is um, there, there's an awful lot of candidates. that I think everyone would have thought were, were obvious candidates that not only were not formally interviewed for this position, um, but we're not contacted at all, even informally, you know, to to see what their interest would be, to to hear their thoughts on what should happen with the U.S. national team going forward. So that to me is a bit concerning. U.S. soccer is, you know, they're not confirming anything when we ask. Um, and, and I think that's problematic. And I've, I've said to, to the folks at U.S. soccer, look, when announcements made, we need to have some some idea of how this search went down. Um, the excuse uh, by Ernie Stewart, or the reason by Ernie Stewart, uh, the reason Ernie Stewart's given for not naming names is during the process is while well, some of these guys are in jobs, we're not gonna we're not gonna say who we've interviewed till the process is over. When it is over, I would certainly hope that we have more clarity on how extensive a search this is, who exactly was interviewed, uh, how many candidates, if not names, uh, you know as much information as possible. And if, and if we don't get satisfying answers for those things, for those questions, I think that it's, it's certainly reasonable to criticize us soccer um, at that point to say, Hey, you guys took an awful long time to do this. And you said, there's all these reasons and and that's understandable, but, you know, given the amount of time you had, if if you didn't speak to every possible person that you could speak to, um, but, you know, whether it's a formal interview or not, just pick up the phone, call, call some of these folks, um, I think that's a problem, and, um, and, and I, unfortunately, I think that's the way it's gone down, and until we hear otherwise, there's no reason to think that, that there has been a more extensive search um, when, when you have uh, folks on record like Peter Vermees, Greg Banny, Bob Bradley, I mean, you can, the list goes on of, of people that have not been contacted at all, have not been interviewed Dave Sarakin. The interim coach has not been given a formal interview tab. We're almost under 20 coach not formally interviewed, so I want to know who's been interviewed besides Greg Barhalter, and right now I don't have an answer.
0: Now, Doug, I mean, that was super insightful. I think you put out a wonderful context into what's happened in U.S. soccer over the last year, and I know there's a lot of frustration, and that frustration on this show, through our the, our listeners and just everyone else in U.S. soccer, is it, very rightfully I think, just, uh, frustration. It, it's not out of, yep. you know, it's not just sports, fans being sports fans. I think there's proper frustration in this global sport, but why Greg Burhalter over any of other, these names, even if MLS or even the names in Europe, I mean, you you've had names yeah. like, you know, Sam Allardyce. And I seen, I think I've seen an actual report where Arsene Wenger had, you know, talked about the U S men's national team or David Moyes yeah. supposedly wanted the job. But why did, why is us soccer going over, you know, going to Berhalter over anybody else?
4: Well, I think there's probably a few reasons Um, I I, you know, we can all have our opinions on who the best person to coach the U S men's national team is and whether it should be an American, whether it should be someone from outside. um, I think it's pretty clear that, you know, Pep Guardiola is not walking through that door. Neither is Jose Mourinho. Um, This is not a job that the very best managers in the world are going to have much interest in. That's just the reality of the situation. So when you compare a guy like Burhalter to say Sam Allardyce, you probably ask, and I'm sure Ernie Stewart would say, well, what does Sam Allardyce know about about the sport in the U.S.? It's different. It's different. It just is. It's, it's you know, MLS is is different than than other leagues the way it's operated. I think you would want to have a candidate that's familiar with the player pool. I don't know how much Arsene Wenger knows about the U S player pool. And certainly you would think that some of these coaches, you know, they're, they're top professionals. They could get up to speed pretty quickly, but I think there was a desire to pick somebody that is familiar with the player pool is familiar with MLS is familiar with soccer over overseas and how things work over there. And Burhalter I mean, Burhalter's qualified. He, he checks a lot of boxes as a lot of other people do as well, but this is a guy that's played and coached in Europe. There's not too many guys uh, that have played and coached in Europe and in MLS. Um, out there, um, and he—he he certainly, you know, he's shown in the five years he's been with the Columbus Crew that he's able to, you know, have a team that has a specific style. Um, that team's been relatively successful given the resources available. It's not Atlanta, it's not LAFC or Seattle where they're they're spending millions upon millions on on designated players. I mean, they've never had a player like uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic or Wayne Rooney at their disposal,
3: so.
4: You know, I don't think the question is whether Greg Berhalder is not qualified or not. I think he is qualified. He is. He's. He, this is a guy that played for the national team for a number of years. Everyone that speaks about him speaks highly of him. Um, and, I, you know, I listen to, you know, again, we can have our opinions, but I look at people. You know, I, as a reporter, I like to talk to people that know more than I do. And I, I, two conversations come to mind. I spoke to Brad Friedel and Steve Terundolo. These are arguably the two most decorated American players to ever play in Europe. Um, Brad Friedel still has the record for a consecutive appearance in the Premier League. I don't know that that record will ever be beaten. It's ridiculous. Something three, 400 games. Steve Terundolo, 15 years uh, with Hanover in the, in the Bundesliga, uh, Bundesliga in Germany, both tr- terrific servants for the U S men's national team uh, over the years. And both of those guys in talking to them said, you know, I think it probably should be an American guy just because, it's, it's the so, soccer in the United States is unique. It's not like anywhere else. And you don't want someone, you know, certainly someone can get up to speed, but you don't want someone coming in and having to figure out how MLS works. That doesn't make a lot of sense. There's qualified candidates. And, and, you know, both those guys mentioned, um, you know, other guys that would be qualified. I think Peter Vermese certainly would have been a, a qualified candidate. Again, I think it's crazy if U S soccer hasn't had a formal conversation with him, um, and, 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 there's certainly lots of other guys as well that would have, would have checked those boxes. Uh, you know, guys like Tata Martino or, or, um, Juan Carlos Osorio, um, guys that were that, that I think would bring some perspective, um, from having coached and worked outside the United States, but also in it. I mean, Tata obviously has coached Atlanta for the last couple of years, uh, Juan Carlos Osorio, former coach of the Mexican national team, um, uh, coached in MLS and has a lot of ties to the United States. So you know i think those sorts of candidates made more sense than than someone like arson wenger or or, or sam allardyce or david moyes um but uh, i don't think i don't think you can argue that that greg berhalter's not qualified i, I just I, you know I, again i think that 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 you want to make sure you're leaving no stone on, unturned and unfortunately if those answers that we get whenever greg is announced aren't satisfying that's going to be a check against Burhalter through no fault of his, of his own. And I find that unfortunate because if he's the guy, he should come in with the support of everyone. Everyone should say, look, this is, this is why we picked him. This is why he's the best guy. And if there's questions saying, hey, maybe you, you, know, you don't know if he was the right person or not because you didn't talk to everybody, that's really unfair to him. So, uh, again, I, I really hope those answers are satisfying. But until we, we get them, um, you know, the, the jury's going to remain out.
1: Doug, I wanted to run a quote by you from Christian Pulisic following the 3-0 defeat to England earlier this week. Uh, Pulisic, when questioned after the match, said, It's tough. Dave's doing what he can. Obviously, he wants to win these games, too, just like we do. But, yeah, it's going to help a lot once we get a permanent head coach moving forward. A guy with a real plan, a style of how we want to play, like I said before. And, yeah, it's going to help us a lot. Yep. Are yeah, I, are, are, the, actually, are the players
4: growing I, frustrated? I think so. I mean, I'm the one that asked that question, and certainly they were frustrated after after losing three three nothing to England. Um, I think so. I mean, I, I wrote a couple months ago that you know in a in a funny way by accident, Dave Syrkin's been uh, a good guy to welcome in this new generation of young talent um, for for a lot of reasons. I think if it was a, if there was a permanent coach right away, they they might not have been as comfortable, might not have been able to play as freely. Um, as they, they have been able, the integration might not have been quite as smooth. And again, complete accident. The only reason Dave Sarkin was there is because he was already under contract um, as Bruce Arena's former assistant when Arena resigned in the wake of the qualifying failure. Um, and and I, I think he has done a good job. But, you know, even when he was named uh, as the interim coach, it was for one game originally for that Portugal game, the first game last November after they failed to qualify. And he's been extended a couple times since, or at least once since then. So it's not like U.S. Soccer said, "All right, Dave, you have a year uh, with this with this team before we name a permanent manager and you know develop some sort of plan." He hasn't even had uh, any guarantee or any any reason to to even think long term and try to implement anything, uh, you know, that would be sort of uniform and 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 or you know develop a style of play or anything like that. He's basically just been a placeholder and. I think that you saw some of the results earlier this year. There, there were some fairly decent performances. You look at, uh, you know, you look at the draw in France. I think that's an obvious one right before the World Cup. That's against a full-strength French team. You even look at a game like like the Colombia match, where the U.S. was thoroughly outplayed in that match. But there were some positive moments. They scored two goals against a very good team. Again, that was almost a full-strength Colombian side. Um, and for a, you know, they had a, a lead in the second half of that match. Um, they lost deservedly. So, but you know, that's not a result that you would be crazy to expect if it was a full strength U S team. And this hasn't been, it's been an under 24 team. Christian Pulisic has basically not been on the squad for a year. This was only the second match, the match against England in the last 13 months. Um, so you look at that and say, you know what, all things considered, not terrible, not terrible. But I think now as we, we get into more than a year with an interim coach, the, the, The lack of direction is manifesting itself on the field, certainly did in that game against England. The players want to know where they're going to – where they're going, where they're they're going to be getting the message from, what the message is, who they need to impress. They're ready to get on with it. It's been dragged out too long. There needs to be a new manager in place. I think there there is going to be one uh, starting in January, but it's clear that these players are eager for a, a new voice, some closure, some direction. They want to know what's going to happen like everyone else. Uh, does and 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 I think that we saw that in, in the England game. I mean, I'm, I was surprised they didn't uh, with the number of top quality opponents the US has played this year: Brazil, Colombia, uh, you know, France. They're they're going to play England on Tuesday. Uh, sorry, they're going to play Italy on Tuesday. They just played England. I was surprised they didn't have a, a match like that where really they just didn't play well at all and were really played off the field and dominated from start to finish. Um, and it finally happened against England and could certainly happen against an opponent with the quality of Italy on tuesday and it's um you know dave's done a good job it's been okay so far but i think that result showed that everyone is ready to move on uh, the players included
0: doug i know you gotta get out of here so the final question big news over the weekend was chelsea's link with christian pulisic and i saw one number in u.s dollars of somewhere around 90 million what, what what's your mm-hmm. comments on the transfer did you ask christian about wanting to make a move to london
4: well, I didn't have to because the British press really took care of that. Every question that he got just about from a member of the British press was, was you know, about does he want to play in the Premier League? Is he open to that? He's been linked to a number of teams. Obviously, we've seen Tottenham. We've seen Liverpool in the past. Now, Chelsea, um, he's sick answering those questions. He's under contract for another couple of years with Dortmund. Um, he's going to move eventually. I don't know that he'll resign with Dortmund. I think they're going to sell him before his contract expires. I believe it expires in 2021. Uh, and he'll move on at some point, but it's way too early to tell where it's going to be. He's going to get interest um, from from a lot of top clubs around the world, but it's going to be contingent on, on how well he plays. I didn't think he had a very good game against England. He obviously missed a, a, a chance early in the match, and he was mad at himself for it, said afterwards, you know, I should have scored that goal. Maybe the game would have turned out differently. It was uh, 0-0 at the time, and Two minutes later, uh, England goes up. You know, two to zero. I mean, literally, they went up the other end and scored, and then added the second one, and the game was over in the 27th minute. So, um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to stay at Dortmund long term. Was very interesting that he didn't. To me, that he didn't play against uh, Bayern Munich. Um, Dortmund's having a terrific season, first place uh, in, in the in Germany, and and they're playing their, they played their arch rival, uh, Bayern Munich, the team that basically wins that league just about every year. And, um, and he didn't play in that match. So I think that raised, raised some eyebrows. I asked him if, you know, there was any lingering in, injury issues. He'd, he'd had some earlier this season. It's limited him um, in terms of how much playing time he's gotten with Dortmund. And he said, no, I'm 100%. So, um, you know, that, that was interesting. Something to keep an eye on, see how much he plays. Certainly, Dortmund has a, a number of quality players and quality young players. We saw Jaden Sancho in the, in the U.S. England game just an 18 year old uh, Englishman who's, who's broken through with Dortmund and is getting minutes, but um, pool six, a quality player. He's, he's, he's going to continue to garner interest. And uh, at some point I think he'll move to the Premier League, what team it is. I have no idea, but you know, certainly all the top clubs, uh, the teams that can afford him, he'll go for, he'll go for a, a lot of money. I don't know if it's going to be 90 million, if it's, you know, more or less than a hundred million, Uh, but I do think it'll be somewhere in that range and there's only, there's not that many teams in the world that can afford to pay that kind of money. So, um, I, I I do think that when he moves on, it'll be to a top club, but he's going to have to continue to perform for Dortmund. And, uh, and right now he needs to fight his way and get back into that team. So that's the first order of business. And then we'll, uh, we'll see where he ends up uh, down the road.
1: Doug, thank you so much for the insights. Please tell our listeners where we can find your work and we can find you on Twitter.
4: Yeah, I'm at by Doug uh, McIntyre, and uh, you can find my work on Yahoo Sports. And uh, I'll be um, writing about the match on Tuesday and uh, obviously covering uh, the uh, the end of the coaching search. I know you're all uh, eager to, to, to get some closure <laughs> there, as we spoke yep. about. So uh, I would like to thank everyone for reading my work, and thanks for having me on, guys.
0: Hey, Doug, we appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks again.
4: Anytime. Take it easy.
0: Wow, that was in depth, Jake, to say the least. No, that was there was a
1: lot of good insight provided there by by Doug. I mean, there he he highlighted a lot of things that I had never thought of in regards to why it's taken so long for the U.S. to fill the uh, head coaching void with the men's
0: national team. I don't get how U.S. soccer has been able to be in such a hole though any other federation would have everything at least somewhat put together but u.s soccer decided just to have a complete collapse you know gm position then they didn't feel that the presidency i mean every spot there was a hole in there and it's unbelievable now these friendlies we didn't i mean we didn't even ask doug about england the actual game on the field because it's meaningless. We don't even have a head coach. So, can we draw anything from these, you know, several games? No. No, and I
1: think he highlighted that too when when we asked him about the Christian Pulisic quote is how can Dave Saracan implement a plan when he knows he's not going to be there long term? So what's it what's it matter if Dave Saracan has has a plan or doesn't have a plan? He's not going to be there come 2019.
0: But it's the players that are getting frustrated. You can tell. I mean, Christian Pulisic, they don't know what they want to do. Like, what are we working for? What are we doing? I mean, and and I think the hard part is U.S. soccer does not have many meaningful games. It is not like you have right now with Germany where uh, they had a debacle of a World Cup. They get relegated to the second division, the Nations League. And, like, they have meaningful games. U.S. soccer does not have many meaningful games to play for. So, it's easy for them to take their time because these friendlies don't mean anything in the grand scheme of things. I mean, look at how England played Croatia and look at what it meant to Harry Kane. I know it's Croatia and they played in the World Cup, blah, blah, blah. But I don't care. England could have been playing Spain or somebody else that they have no history within the last year of, but they won the group. Now they have a chance to play for a trophy or some sort of qualifications to the European Championships in 2020. It means something. But for the players with U.S. soccer, they have no direction. They don't know who the head coach is going to be. They don't even know if they're going to be on the squad with the new head coach. As a player, I would be hella frustrated right now. And Christian Pulisic is finally going, what the hell are we doing? Yes, as fans, we're frustrated as well. Now, put everything in the context based on what Doug says. Yeah, you can see why it's taking so slow, but come on. U.S. Soccer. I think there there's valid criticism pointed at this organization that is just at times so behind with the times. Like we, we can't get somebody who, who's Spanish speaking as a head coach candidate at least interview.
1: Right. I mean, I have no problem with Ernie Stewart coming into the job and saying Greg Berhalter's my guy. I mean, I think that was pretty clear from the get go that Greg Berhalter was going to be his guy. When you listen to some of the interviews Stewart did throughout the summer. And into the fall, it was, well, I might just interview one person. And then now it's pretty clear now who that one person was. But in the same sense, though, too, I mean, as I mean, you you can say you're, you want to hire, you know, candidate X or, you know, whomever. But don't you think as somebody who's trying to fill a position, you should do your due diligence and at least ask some other individuals? Oh, no doubt. about what their vision should be for U.S. soccer or about what they want to do with the team. And at the end of the day, even if you go through that interview process and you still say, I'm still going to hire Greg Berhalter. At least you went through. At least you listened to some people. You listened to their ideas. You got what they what 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 they thought would be best for the federation. Instead, you've now double, triple, quadrupled down on Greg Berhalter as this is the guy. This is the, you you've almost put Greg Berhalter up on a pedestal, and everyone knows it. The fan, the U.S. fans know it. U.S. soccer no, media knows it. That he's been the guy since Ernie Stewart was hired, and to me, it. Like I said, I get it. If that was the guy you wanted to hire, by all means hire him. But in the same sense, too, you need to do your due diligence and at least talk to somebody else and maybe get a, 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 diff- a different perspective on things.
0: What if Greg Berhalter says no and wants to go to the Galaxy? Then what? Like, there's, like, there's Do we know that Berhalter is going to take the job 100%? Because was there not rumors that he wants the LA Galaxy or the LA Galaxy want him?
1: I would think that U.S. soccer knows. I mean, keep in mind, I believe Greg Berhalter's brother works within, is, is a higher up within the uh, U.S. soccer Federa- uh, federation. So I would think that Ernie Stewart and Carlos Cordero have a pretty good idea of where uh, Greg Burhalter stands in terms of what job he wants to take next.
0: Uh, listeners, follow at Jake Watrova at Steven Jodder. And man, it's been an action packed episode, Jake. Crazy
1: it really has it really has it's been it's been a really good episode i thought
0: no it's been interesting um no doubt Hey, listeners happy thanksgiving and from us here at the show we want to thank you all for you know making the pod what it is it really wouldn't be anything without you listeners and all very thankful all the hate mail all the comments all the love we get from those in austin to those in columbus in france (laughs) new york california canada all our listeners we we love you and we from the bottoms of heart thank you have a happy thanksgiving uh we'll have something come out here in the next week so just be on the uh be on the lookout for that jake any last things you wanted to add before we say goodbye to thanksgiving
1: no, I just want to wish everybody happy Thanksgiving and uh, like make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio. Leave us a good review. Uh, we're we're always thankful for five star reviews. So
0: <laughs> only five star reviews. And,
1: and make sure and make sure you send all your hate mail this week to Armonkify for missing uh, this week's show.
0: Yes, at Armonkify for hate mail. All right, listeners. Until next time. Happy Thanksgiving.